Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. that stuff because when when we played together that quartet tour it seemed like because the band didn't record a record before mm -hmm. uh, and also um, the band hadn't played that much before it seemed like you just sped out like a perfect repertoire of of like mm -hmm. a lot of pieces you've sent to me Mm -hmm. It was almost mm -hmm. like 20 pieces or something. <laughs> I was wondering how you, you know, through all that madness of all these gigs, yeah. uh, how do you find the time to compose these tunes? You, you just have to focus when you have a chance, you mm. know. And of course, whenever I, I uh, seek to put together a new band, I'm always thinking about, you know, exactly who's going to be in it and what I want the focus to be. Yeah, And sometimes that involves writing a bunch of stuff. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't exactly sure what the focus of that band would exactly be. So I wrote a ton of stuff and I kind of, I see. Kind of well, this is what works in this way and this works in a different way, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but, but I always find that if, that if you keep the faucet running, at least you'll, you know, you'll have something to work with. Because it doesn't always really take that much, you know, to to turn into something. Um, but you need some kind of concept, you need some kind of mood, you need something, you know. And then oftentimes as I bring things in and I realize how they are, I'll realize what's unfinished about it, Yeah. you know, like when I actually hear it performed or I'll hear what can be added or what it needs or, right. or maybe it has too much, you know, and you mm -hmm. take something away. Um, but you kind of have to go with the process. And, and when you go out with a particular band, it may be different you might make different choices with a different band, you know, mm -hmm. if it was a different drummer, you might go, Oh, well actually maybe we should go in this direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it really isn't something you can completely plan ahead of time, which is nice. Yeah. It reminded me, you know, a little bit about the, the great comedians who like turn off their repertoire after once they've, uh, you know, played it for a while with the band and right. then, oh, not with the band, obviously, yeah. but, for a tour, and right. then they completely say, okay, that's done. That's it. That stuff's gone. Yeah. And now I have to rethink my whole thing and just come up with something new. And right. we always, in a way, we write the same tunes, you know. Uh, right. It's, right. It's, it's a style. I, mean, I think I heard Schofield say that. Like, uh, actually, I, I, only write, I only have written like four tunes. <laughs> and in a way, these four right. tunes, they're different. Um, yeah. Right. You know. Right, and those are the archetypes for a lot of his work. Yeah, yeah. I always see it as uh, like a photograph of me in front of something different. <laughs> this is me yeah. in front of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. This is me in right. India, yeah. uh, because it's always like a personal, um, yeah, like like a, a like a new chapter in the diary. Then still you, and you've made some right. new, you know. Yeah. But I found it that very, very um, inspiring to see, yeah, to well, to see how exactly. with how much stuff you came up. Well, I, I mean, I I've kind of tried to keep this insistence on like basically keeping the underground book with underground, keeping the band, sure. you know, keeping them separate, you know, yeah. so that this band has this repertoire, this band has, you know. But it, yeah, it means a lot of tunes. Yeah, <laughs> you have to and. Uh, um, and also it takes, I think, you know, from me seeing it from the outside, I, I suppose it takes courage to lose the old material because you've written yeah, so many exactly. great tunes that are in a way yeah, also classics, you know, yeah, when I talk to my works, friends so. about uh, uh, gratitude or, uh, you know, yeah. um, traveling mercies, there's so many, um, and all the records before that too, I mean, there's so many great tunes where, you know, you could play them like Watermelon Man or something. Yeah, right, like Herbie right. plays, still plays these, these songs. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you could well, still play them. I mean, I mean, I'm starting to think about that, you know, I mean, maybe in the future they would be smart 
even just musically just to, to go back and do that a bit more. I don't mm-hmm. know how, when, you know, um, except that of course I keep writing new tunes. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I also do like those old tunes and I kind of go, wow, it's a shame. Like, you know, that never gets played. Yeah. And it's a bunch of people that are never going to hear it because they just never checked it out the first time. And, yeah. You know, um, this is where and- I come into play. <laughs> I always ask you to play, all, you know, my <laughs> right. teenage right. Uh, love please tunes. Please play Watermelon Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, in terms of composing, I think in the early days, at least it sounds to me like um, uh, like Dave Holland had a had a had a sort of an impact on your writing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting if. if You know, if you go back and listen to, um, there's a record, for, I think it was maybe 1996, 97, with Dave. And it was the first time I ever actually played with Dave. It was with Schofield and Dave and uh, oh, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, um, I love that. And, you know, and that was before I ever worked with Dave. I mean, I, you know, I listened to the records, but I had never really worked with him. Um But I think some of the tunes already, you know, kind of had a little bit of a similar focus just because I kind of like the same thing. I found that some of the tunes had this kind of odd meter vampy thing. Yeah. Where maybe there was a figure that repeated that you could get loose from. Yeah. You know, but but the fact that it was a repeated thing, you know, meant that there was some kind of continuity and even maybe in a big sense, almost like a drone, like a, you know, like a like a feeling of stasis yeah, with a lot of rhythmic activity there as well. You know, mm. maybe a short, you know, a shorter cycle, a shorter rhythmic and harmonic cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, a tune like seven eleven. Yeah. Thing, you know, um, which kind of fit in with, with Dave's thing. And as soon as I started working with Dave's band, I mean, of course you can't help but be, be influenced by the music around you, you know, and, and just kind of seeing how he put it together. Yeah. Um, and, and also Robin's writing too, and, and everyone's writing for the group, you know, right. Uh, we also played that music a lot. We went on the road yeah. and we played a lot. <clears throat> and, yeah. um, and that's, that's a nice thing, you know, as, 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 as you obviously know about, you know, having a band that has some, has some history, mm. you know, <clears throat> is that you start kind of, adjusting how you play in a certain way to to the situation and changing how you play because of how they're playing and then they do the same thing and it becomes this kind of band language that you don't really you know again it's not the kind of thing you can plan ahead of time yeah uh you can you can try to throw together people that'll work together and that'll happen yeah you know um but you don't really know how every how how everybody's going to affect everyone else you know yeah But I'm sure with that band, just because of the volumes of gigs that we did and, and, and because everyone was at such a high level, obviously, and, yeah. you know, and the music was interesting to us, I'm, I'm sure the influence has just kind of kept on going. I know it's, I, I, I mean, I'll definitely say it's the case for me, mm. is, um, is I'm sure that had a bigger influence than I could even clearly see just because I was in the middle of it. Yeah. You know? How would you say you know because you've played with Paul Motion so early on in your career mm-hmm. how would you say he changed your playing because always when I listen to you play with him you sound a little bit different you know yeah well he has such a different he you know such a different approach to music which was very very liberating for me mm-hmm. and also a big challenge you know and I still think about him a lot I really did learn a lot from him in terms of uh I'm not exactly sure how to put it but kind of the courage to not you know, hold on to anything that you know, you know, he made that into a kind of a defiant uh, theme was, you know, hey, I'm going to try and approach the drums like I've never seen a set of drums before. Yeah. yeah. And of course, he's, he always sounded like him. I mean, it was clearly a, a stylistic thing. And the only reason that he was able to get away with that was because he actually could play the drums. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Someone who can't play. and just You, can, you can't start with that, you know. <laughs> no, you can't start with that. I mean, like the depth of experience and uh, the amount of attention. I mean, the folks that he would always talk about would be, would be Kenny Clark and mm. Art Blakey and, you know, Sid Catlett and all mm. these guys. I mean, he was, he was thinking very much about these, that era of drummer, especially 
guys that he looked up to when he first got to New York, like the, you know, kind of first generation bebop guys, because he kind of came up right after that, mm. you know, but he obviously made a, made a conscious decision even to really change how he approached things. And of course this was, you know, I mean, he, it's pretty clear to hear this change if you listen to the recordings too, you know, if you listen to how he was playing with Scott LaFerro and Bill Evans, you know, it's very unique. Yeah. It's within it's within a kind of a more tame language in a certain way. And then by the time like there's that Paul Blay record with John Gilmore and yeah. um and Gary Peacock, you know, it sounds like the Paul that I that I played with a bit more. Yeah. Where it was just kind of all the edges were a little rougher. Yeah. You know? But I think he kind of had a way of um insisting that he was going to respond to things on an aesthetic kind of gut level mm. where he wasn't going to analyze. He was just going to go with what he thought sounded good, you mm. know? And, and sometimes I think he was even so contrary that he went too far in that direction too, where he like something that clearly made sense to do is what he wouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but in the end you, you had to appreciate that too, you know, that, just just that hootspot and he got away with it because he was so musical mm-hmm. you know um there is a story that i often tell <clears throat> you know about how when i was first working with him and i did this tour and i basically quit steely dan to go on the road with him and i was yeah. you know like thinking what am i doing you know mm-hmm. i've just thrown away a big career thing but i want to play jazz anyway and yeah you know, this is what i want to do and then for the first few nights i didn't like he wasn't really responding he was just kind of playing but not with a bunch of energy and Mm -hmm. just wasn't giving it up you know and i think i responded by kind of getting more and more agitated more and more rhythmic you know thinking man okay you know this is something that a lot of drummers you know you 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 throw stuff out and they yeah it bounces back you know and that's and it just was not working at all Mm. you know and then after a few days i got to the point you know and, and 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 i was i was kind of feeling uh like, man, what am I doing wrong? You know, I wish he'd play with me. This is not, you know, yeah. this is not how I was having to go. After a few days of that, I got to the point where I was like, man, screw him. I don't care. Like, this, <laughs> this, doesn't, this sounds terrible. Like, I don't know what he's doing. I, but, you know, screw it. I'm just going to play. And from moment one, he started playing with me. Amazing. And the, and the lesson, and I, and I can't imagine it was, it was uh, conscious on his part. Maybe it was. But I think, you know, as soon as he felt that I wasn't looking for any kind of approval and I was just going to go ahead and do what I did, yeah. then he started playing. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I was, that's, that's one of the best lessons I ever got. Yeah. Again, with, without a word being spoken, like most great lessons. Yeah. Um, wow. it, it, was, it was really a, you know, change in my thinking. And, and, you know, I think I also grew to appreciate how, again, his sense of aesthetics was in general, not necessarily to go with what you were doing and do something similar. Mm. You know, if you were playing a big pile of notes, he might play less because of that, because he's thinking of the kind of the overall shape. The balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that uh, the way he would respond wasn't often that direct. It was more kind of an oblique way of, of, responding you could feel it you could feel that he was present and he was you know reacting to what was going on around him mm. um but it was hardly ever in a way where if you went don't don't he'd go don't don't yeah you know what i mean you know he's definitely someone i think about a lot when i think about yeah. kind of my, my values in music mm-hmm. you know and it, partially because his personality was so different than mine but yeah. it's really kind of a good thing to keep in mind for me mm-hmm I think, and I'm, maybe I'm uh, interpreting too much into it, but I think the the neoclassicism movement of, mm. of jazz was in full steam when uh, Paul mm-hmm. Motion decided to form the uh, electric bebop band. Yeah. And kind of... do you think he was kind of making a statement in terms of uh, taking that old repertoire mm-hmm. uh, that everybody was, you know, holding up in that time? Right. But doing something really new with it, also in terms of instrumentation and uh, and also in the way he handled that material. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I I wasn't there at the very first iteration of it. I mean, there was yeah. a it was a record with Josh and I think there were there were 
there were gigs before before that where there was no saxophone player at all. Mm-hmm. I I forget who was telling me this. Maybe it was Brad Shepik. I think he might have been there at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That that his original idea was to really get players who knew nothing about bebop. Yeah, like really like some punk guys or some rock guys, or, you know, um, and and have it be just completely something else, mm. you know. But doing that repertoire, that was his original idea. And I think he got together with some folks and then he quickly realized like, oh, yeah, well. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they can't play it. Yeah. <laughs> not capable of playing it. Yeah. Maybe there is a certain level of comfort with the language, you know, that, that you need to have to be able to yeah. even just play those tunes because they're, they're so challenging in a certain way. Yes. You know? um, so I think he did come around and come, you know, a bit back into the jazz fold. But but I think that says something about what his original idea was. Yeah, mm. I think it was completely like, you know, let's let's uh, you know not uh, treat this as a museum piece, but yeah. rather as the subversive music that it was. You yeah, know? totally. Um, yeah, I think that was in his mind. Yeah. Mm. Okay. When I was playing with you in in your band, I I had a um, um, your view as a band leader um, after a while unfolded to me, mm-hmm. um, and it's something you talked about before with your band leaders. I think not with your band, but about your band leaders before. Yeah, uh, you didn't give a ton of direction. No, uh, but you you led me um, through example in a way because you didn't say much about how i should play your pieces um but when it came to play playing the pieces either in the short rehearsals we had or in the gig you played the at least that what was i was interpreting into it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you played so many embellishments of the melody like not playing it exactly how it's written right And right. that I took that as an encouragement to treat the music with openness and right. in, the, in the moment, yeah. Uh, yeah, as opposed to you know having it the same every time and you know getting it, getting it uh, completely right on like on the on the page, right. Um, right? So that's what I got out out of it, and I think mm-hmm. that's how how you were treated also by your band leaders, by most of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe you know, certain specific events that have to happen here. And it's, you know, you just say, okay, when we do this, you know, when you finish this section, then go to the interlude and play that, you know, but sure. it's not like, it's not like a big thing. Like, you know, okay. So if you play the ride symbol on beat three, you know, <laughs> like, like I'm, you know, very, very rarely, maybe there's a, a kind of a more through composed piece that I might ask for specific things like that, you know, yeah. um, But I usually treat that those kind of moments as as a as a certain moment in the set where maybe there is some through composed stuff uh, in the middle of some much freer stuff, yeah. you know, to provide some balance. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean, I try and treat my own music as if it's someone else's music that I'm reading and trying to interpret, you know, and and it and maybe can be improved or yeah. not necessarily improved or you know, but just just felt in the moment, you know, and yeah. it has, and, and that it has enough flexibility for that to happen, you know, and part of the challenge is, um, is writing that way and mm-hmm. thinking that way, you know, um, the balance between being specific and, and not, you know, I mean, I think about John Coltrane's writing or Sonny Rollins writing, mm. you know, these are two major voices on the horn that, you know, that have also been very, very major voices in terms of their tunes. Yeah. You know? um, but in general, the, the tunes are very simple, you know, and especially like, I mean, if you look at Coltrane's, you know, uh, work, I mean, they were, they were more specific at the beginning, clearly, mm-hmm. and got to a high level of specificity with, you know, giant steps mm-hmm. and then kind of broke down again into where he was. I mean, I'm sure you've seen maybe that picture of, his sketches for the entire album of a love yeah. Yeah. on basically one piece of score paper. Yeah. Amazing. You know, the whole record is on that. Yeah. And it has this, this compositional unity to it and this, you know, focus. I mean, it's, you know, it's all 
again, fairly simple written material. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think he, he just got to a point where it's like, well, this is what I need to get to this. And any more than this is going to be too much. Yeah. You know, for what I'm trying to say and, and what we're trying to get to. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that's another way to look at it. I think then, then, then the basic idea of, okay, I'm going to write a tune. Yeah. And which involves, okay, we're going to do it this certain way, you know? And I mean, I mean, there's a certain thing that I, that I encounter too, um, partially with, you know, the way that a lot of people are writing music today and the way that I write my music down too is in the computer, like True. through a, through a computer program so that it's easy to print out and, and it looks nicer and it's listen easy. back to, you can listen back to yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Um, but you don't work in exactly the same way or you, or you have to consciously make yourself think in that same way. If you're going to do it that, you know, there really is something nice about just a little sketch. Yeah. You know, you treat it differently when you see it, right? Because it yeah. seems unfinished. Right. Right. It seems like maybe, okay, this is something to work with rather than, you know, it looks, if it looks professionally printed out, it's like, okay, that's, you know, I mean, there's all these little things that do affect, you know, how a musician's going to play it. Mm. And I keep thinking, boy, I would really like to go back and just, you know, write things out by hand. Yeah. And then I get about four bars into it and it's such a pain in the neck <laughs> yeah. that, I, that I go back to the computer, I have to admit. Yeah. But I do make an effort at least to treat it like I used to. You know? Yeah, this is why, you know, your tunes are very inviting because although it looks perfectly written down through the computer, there isn't a ton of notes in there. Although, you know, right. it's yeah. challenging and inviting at the same time. Well, I hope so. I mean, that's always the thing is like the right level of challenge to make it into something that, you know, isn't exactly like what you've done before or that, you, you know, make yourself a little uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> You're not yeah. quite sure what it should be, mm -hmm. you know, um, but not like locked into a straitjacket, yeah. which is actually another form of safety, you mm -hmm. know. True. You know. You know, I mean, it's all about getting to that point when you're actually performing it, where you really are feeling it as something new that's happening right at that moment. And you have to get into yourself in a deep way in order to, you know, reach something and communicate that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that can be done. Of course, that can be done. I mean, you know, somebody playing a whatever, you know, a Beethoven concerto can get into that frame of mind, too. And it's extremely specific. But in the jazz context, I mean, it, there is something for me about, you know, not just playing exactly what's what's written. Yeah. That helps you get there. You yeah. Know? And if you don't get there, it's it's not the fault of the written music. It's just, you know, that maybe you couldn't find it that night. Mm. <laughs> you know? um, another thing that I'm always amazed by when I listen to you play or when we played, I notice it even more. It seems to me like you have an uh, especially fast and deep connection from your ear to your brain to your instrument. Mm. And I wonder how you attained that and how you work work at that. Mm -hmm. um, well, thanks. I don't know. It's... it's uh, <laughs> um, I, th I, I mean, there are certain, certain ways that I tend to practice things, which maybe are a reflection how, of how my brain tends to work anyway. Um, but that is, that is the goal for me, is to, is to go from what I'm hearing into this big metal tube, you know, with as few things in the way as possible. I do not have like a perfect sense of pitch. It's, it's a relative, you know, and there's a big thing for me about just, Whatever I want to work on, I try and make sure I know it in every key up and down the horn, mm -hmm. which is something like on the piano, you know, you can kind of visually see the pattern True. That, that you're working with in a way that you really can't on the saxophone. So it's a, it's not as, it's a bit less easy, I think, to get, to get that comfort because you, because you can't really see it or feel it in your fingers, even as a geometric shape. You But know. I suppose you coming from the piano, it helped. It helped you a lot. I'm sure that does help, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, Because I what you, does. in a way, you sound pianistic on the horn. Mm -hmm. You know. Maybe that is. I mean, maybe that is part of the thing. Is is maybe I do think of it as geometric in a certain way, and then I have, and then I've just tried to practice enough 
on the saxophone to get it to where I'm fast enough to, you know, to translate that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because that is a big way that I practice is, you know, um, is not not really having much written material or nothing to look at. Yeah. But just finding some kind of idea, some kind of cell of an idea, and then working with it um, in different ways, you know, yeah. definitely through the keys, also maybe backwards. Yeah. You know, um, thinking of each idea <clears throat> um, in terms of a set of pitches that can be rearranged in a different order, you know, um, uh, that can be used where each note is like hitting a drum, using it as a rhythmic sequence. But if it's a sequence of five notes, then maybe that means there's five drums kind of, you know, uh-huh. I mean? yeah. um, just working with material in that way. I think that's, that's, that's my way of trying to get to that, you know, and I mean, probably more than I even realize a lot of it comes from listening to other music yeah and getting that in your getting your you know in your ear and trying to uh you know figure out what that feels like on the horn just just hours and hours of charlie parker obviously you know just yeah. you know things where where you just know what sounds right because you've done it you know it's not like like some kind of theoretical language it's it's like uh phrasing and things that come from something that seems like it's grounded in melody rhythm you know it's you know it's hard to explain but some something that somehow connects it to the blues whatever the blues mm-hmm. is and which isn't even this doesn't blues doesn't even have to be an american thing you know yeah but there's this connection to um music that seems like it's you know coming from the earth in some way i don't yeah. know how else to say it <laughs> yeah you know yeah beautiful because sometimes you know that when I saw you play over the chords I was I had written down or you had written down, yeah. I could see you or feel you going like, "Huh, what if I do this?" And or, or how about <laughs> do this? And then you did it, right? You know, I could mm-hmm. feel right. you, yeah, yeah, hearing it before and then going for it, and it was very yeah. uh, amazing to see. Also, when you played some of my tunes for the first time. I could see you work through the changes. It was right. really, really inspiring to, uh, maybe you can also maybe talk about that, how you, yeah, yeah. when you see like a sheet for the first time, how you do you, mm-hmm. how do you approach it? Because you're so fast. All the rehearsals we had <laughs> were super fast. And you were like, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and you were, you know. <laughs> well, it depends on the, on the, I mean, some of it is, is, is because the music you write makes sense, <laughs> you know? I mean, sometimes you're looking at music and you're going, man, how am I going to make anything out of this, you know? But if it but if it feels like it has a flow to it and it has a logic within it, it's a lot easier to just, right. you know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's a certain way of, you know, looking at a series of chords and then having done it enough, you kind of know what that's going to sound like before you start playing it or you see the relationships, you know, in a, in a fast way you see, okay. Yeah. So the major seventh of this chord is about to turn into the minor third of this other one. Yeah. And I can kind of use that, you know, just stuff like that, that, yeah. that from, from seeing it and then, and then hearing it. Cause I can also hear, okay. Yeah. Okay. G, which is the major seventh of a flat major seven is now the third of E minor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can hear that and I can maybe play some melody that sounds like it's a melody that uses that idea, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a bunch of that kind of thinking. And then some of it is a bit more like, wow, okay, I'm not quite hearing it. So let me follow the, let me follow what the blueprint is and Mm -hmm. just see, you know, and just play a shape that I think is going to be pleasing, even if I'm not quite, you know, used to, harmonically what's about to happen and and there's also a lot about phrasing you know about looking at the tune and trying to figure out how it makes sense not you know 
I mean, the way that we read a chord progression, just because of how it has to be, is that it's, okay, it's this chord, then it's this chord, then it's this chord, then it's this chord. So that isn't really the way that you want it to sound mm. a lot, you know? You want it to sound like there's a line, it's a river, you know? So you have to kind of know how to interpret these markers, you know? It's like it's a, you know, some sort of a marker along the shore of the river saying, okay, it's this here, and, this, and then connect those in a way that, that it's flowing which means thinking of chords in terms of uh, maybe the lines that they uh, imply, yeah. you know, um, you know, that, yes. Okay. So yeah, this, this major seventh turns into this minor third. And then on the next chord, if you go up a major second, it's going to be this other thing of this next chord. And, you know, and that, that's, that's the thread that's like this, you know, you know it involves trying to look at music and quickly figure that out. Yeah. You know, simply paying attention to the harmonic rhythm, too, and looking at where the where the spots are, where it tends to resolve, mm -hmm. you know, um, can give you a big help in terms of how you want to phrase something, mm. you know, just seeing, seeing, seeing how it's constructed rather than, again, just this, 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 you know, but thinking, OK, so a chorus is this long. And this is, you know, seven bars and then there's a bar of two, four. So there's something going on that, you know, makes that why it's written that way. And maybe I can use that, you know, where you might even play wrong notes. But it, you, but if it musically kind of makes sense with the flow of the tune. Yeah, you're, st you're more playing the tune. You're, yeah. you're honoring the tune more and that, therefore you're, right. play, you're more in the music as opposed right. to playing the chord that you're supposed to play in that particular moment and then the next chord. Right. You somewhat don't get the full picture of the tune. Right, right. Yeah. But it but it does take a you know a certain amount of understanding of the building blocks mm -hmm. to do that. If you don't have the understanding of the building blocks you can't you know it's 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 much harder to get to that level mm. to see what the continuity is. You can know? you can you tell me a couple of guys that you saw this when you were coming up, have this, you know, this particular um, uh, gift or, or um, knowledge um, mm -hmm. where you said like, oh, wow, I, I want to have that too. Or maybe you mm -hmm. had it all the way through. I don't know. But maybe you saw it in someone and that sparked something. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the musician that, that immediately comes to mind is just, you know, unbelievably <laughs> advanced at this is uh, Herbie, you know, yeah. which is no surprise, but, but just, you know, being in situations, watching him read a set of chords, which I've had a chance to do just a little bit, you know, or work on something that's unfamiliar to him. Mm -hmm. um, it seems that the analysis process is so, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to say it, but it's, it's such a fluid thing. Yeah. And it's, everything is so changeable. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a world within F major seven that may or may not involve any of the notes that are in F major seven, but somehow, you know, the way he plays through it, he understands yeah. function. He understands what's going on and, yeah. and he just, and he kind of has the courage. And it's also, I mean, besides the courage, it's also just the playfulness right. to go, okay, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the trust in his own instincts you know, after doing it for so long. Um, for me, that's, that's the obvious person that I look at and, and I go, oh yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's that, that idea taken to such a high level that I can't even imagine anyone taking it further. Yeah. It's kind of interesting now that I work with Lionel, mm -hmm. you know, a fair amount. I feel like Lionel has internalized some of this. Oh yeah. Okay. In a way that, that I've never heard really anyone on the guitar do. I, mean, right. I mean, he has such a unique kind of way of playing the guitar anyway. This, That's true. You know, this, I mean, just his background alone. I mean, it's, uh, he's, a, he's a very unusual musician. Yeah. Did you, did you talk to Herbie or Lionel about like, uh, understanding the function? Because I also think that's what, what Herbie does when he exchanges chords. You know, yeah. he doesn't really go like, well, I want to play another chord. Maybe how about this? Uh, I think he understands the function of the chord. And that gives him yeah. tons of uh, other possibilities to uh, to address that function without having to play the actual chord. Yeah, I think that's true because it's because it's not like it's just unrelated. No, at all. Like 
things, you know, you can hear resolution points. Yeah. You know, it's just that maybe on the F major seven, maybe he resolves to an A major seven. Yeah. Um, but because of the logic of the line and the melody and the way he does it, you know, you hear it as a going away and coming back and it's a, you're back to a tonic, except that it's, it's, you know, it's up in the air. It's, yeah. it's a major third above what that is. But it, I, I haven't ever really spoken to, to either of them about it. I don't know mm -hmm. that they would even have much insight in terms of explaining it. Maybe mm -hmm. they would, I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, it is an intellectual process on a certain level, but it's also just an ear and gut level. Gut level, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because it doesn't seem, you know. Uh, I remember being in an airport, and I think I was looking at uh, some Messian score or something like that, you know. And uh, Herbie was kind of like, "Oh man, yeah." I used to look at that, like you know. 30 something, you know, I mean, when yeah. he was, when he was in his early twenties and I almost got the feeling that he was like, man, Chris, you don't need to do that. Just, just ah, yeah, you know, okay. go, go with what you do. You know, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Yeah. That was kind of the feeling I got, whether that's what he meant or not. But mm -hmm. that was, that was the vibe. Like, man, why are you, why are you even bothering with that? <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's cool. Help me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we all as musicians, most of us, or I think all of us, to a certain extent, have uh, moments of self-doubt and uh, uh, like um, differently long periods of being very, very self-critical mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. thinking like, I can't play or I can't play how I used to play, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. Um, and I, I'm wondering to to what extent you had the, those moments and how you uh, got out of those moments, if you had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's a, that's a bit of a, a curse, I guess, uh, that comes with the blessing, you know, mm -hmm. of having this idea that you want to be an artist and you want to make something at a high level that expresses, you know, some inner, thing that you feel and experience. I mean, I would say it's an inner truth, but it doesn't even, it's, it's, it's just, a, it's how it feels, you know, mm -hmm. it's, um, to be human and a way to communicate that. And, and the curse part is that you can never do it well enough. You know, you can never get to that point where it's, it's like, yeah, okay, I just said it and that's it, you know, because it, it's all part of a process that keeps going. And yeah, it's, it's a big thing to fight against because, you know, without any self-doubt, you get, you get Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you true. get, like you, there's just no depth and there's no actual um, going, wait a minute. Okay. Is that a real answer to the question? Is that how I really, you know, like without any, any, any moment where you're going, is that what I really think? Or is that really true? Or is that really good enough? Mm. Then you're not going to get to that next level, yeah. you know? On the other hand, if you do it too much, it's, it's a crippling thing, Yeah, you know, and it means that you can't, you, you can't go anywhere and, and you don't have the power to communicate anything, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think it's true what, what a lot of musicians have said. I think Charlie Parker said this. I've heard a lot of people, you know, the idea is, is that you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice. And then when you're actually playing, you just put it all out the window. Yeah. Like completely. Mm. And whatever that voice is that, you know, when you were practicing, you had to go, no, you know, going from that note, to, it's, it's not quite, you know, legato enough, or it's this, it's too much this, or no, the sound is not, you know, um, mm. those kind of necessary diagnostic moments that you have to go, yeah, that's not good enough. Um, yeah. let me try it again. You really have to turn that off. I mean, completely off and go on instinct and that's easier said than done. And it's, and it's an important kind of life lesson too, you mm. know, uh, cause, cause you kind of have to live that way too, in a certain way, you know, nobody knows what the best decision is 
ahead of time in so many parts of life. You know, you make these decisions that you, you know, you have no idea really what the ramifications are going to be years down the line. True. But you have to do it. Yeah. You just have to go ahead and do it. Um, and and hopefully all the things that you've thought about and and have practiced and just the process of going through it means that when it is that kind of crunch time and the decision is, you know, made before you even know it, because that's especially in jazz improvisation, that's, that's how much time you have is zero, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that all of these things that have been going on in your mind will just come out, you know, and maybe come out in a way that even surprises you and maybe you don't even understand, mm. you know, which again opens up kind of a, path to you know self-discovery which is an amazing thing you know so there is a a skill involved in that mm. i think that 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 you can get better at you know that's another thing you can practice mm -hmm. <laughs> in other words is the turning off of the critical yeah faculties when it's when it's not helpful one of my teachers said to me um don't interfere Even when it's good, you know, don't go like, wow, yeah. this is great, you know. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a big no-no. Yeah. Wow, this is great, yeah. Yeah, just the judging part of it takes you out of the moment, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, somebody was, was saying, there was this guy, I'm not sure how far he's gotten with this, but he, he, was, he was putting jazz musicians in a, what's it called, a CAT scan, something, you know, ah. to monitor their what's going on in their brain. And, and I mean, you know, it's obviously not the, the best musical environment. Like, you know, somebody walking <laughs> down in a CAT scan playing on a little keyboard and trying to improvise something. That's um, how it feels sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but there was, there was, there was something that he ended up talking about, which I thought was kind of interesting was that there were similarities to like someone who's very good at, at going into a meditation state. Mm. You know, um, which which involves also turning off this critical faculty kind of overseeing thing that's that tends to judge, you know, that there were certain areas of the brain that were active yeah. and that certain areas that were kind of inhibited, that were not active, you yeah. know, and that the watching a brain involved in jazz improvisation was a little bit like watching someone meditate but with the motor part still on. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's beautiful, which is exactly what it, it feels like when mm -hmm. it's working, you know? Um, so I think there is something to that. I mean, and, and you can, you can analyze it in any kind of way, scientific way, a feeling way, or mm -hmm. spiritual way, whatever you want to, whatever angle you want to take. But yeah. I think it has something to do with that. It has to do with getting to that state where you're not, where there's just no room to say, yeah, I'm not, this isn't good enough or I'm not good enough or I wish I was better than, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's true. Maybe. Yeah. Of course we all wish we were better. <laughs> yeah. Know? But, but, but you have to turn it off, you know, mm. at least during that moment. Yeah. And if you turn it off all the time, you probably be happier and actually get further anyway. So, yeah. You know, also so, takes courage, yeah. Yeah, and 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 getting to a certain level mm -hmm. too, where you kind of go, yeah. I mean, yes, I need to practice, and there's a lot more to learn, and there's things that I'm I want to introduce into my playing that that aren't there, and you know, I want, you know, I just want to keep that moving. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, I know enough already <laughs> to say a lot more than I've already said. Yeah. So let me go with that and just, you know, let that be what it is. I mean, if you think about it, you know, Charlie Parker, I mean, some of these recordings he had made by the time he was 24, 25, you know, it's like you could spend a lifetime and never get to that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
you you told me that beautiful story about Ornette uh, visiting Ornette. And yeah. I was wondering if you could share that again so that yeah, maybe yeah. everybody can enjoy this story. Okay, yeah. Well, the the uh, first chapter of that was that um, when I was working with Red Rodney, you know, and I, and I was 18, I guess, when I when I first started working with him. And I, I, I had basically just moved from Columbia, South Carolina, and I, and I knew who Ornette Coleman was and what, you know, a little bit, but I hadn't really delved that deeply into his music yet, you know. And Red Rodney's manager said, hey, Ornette would like to meet you. Um, can you go up to his studio, you know? And I think she said, even like a certain, you know, certain day, a certain time. Like, well, yeah, of course. And for whatever reason, I didn't get that I should bring my horn. Yeah. And I showed up without an instrument. And, uh, and I think he wanted to play. And I think it was, I think it was around that time that he started the band with Jerry Allen and Charnett, you know, I think he just wanted to play with a bunch of different people and see who was out there and is, you know, thinking about who to use mm. in retrospect, or maybe he just wanted to play. I, I have no idea, you know, mm. but, but in any case, I showed up without a horn, which was silly because yeah. we would have, you know, we would have played as it was, we sat and talked for like three hours or something. You know, and and he, you know, of course, had this very elliptical way of talking that I was especially unprepared for then, <laughs> you know, I was just and he'd be talking and I'd and I'd just be thinking this guy is out of his mind <laughs> and, and this makes no sense. Mm. This is not this is just nuts. And there's no reason to be sitting here listening to this guy. And then he'd turn it around. And he'd say something so brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, oh, my God, this yeah. guy is a genius, you know. <laughs> um, so that was my impression. But I but I didn't, you know, I, I, I always had this feeling like, man, why didn't I bring my horn? Yeah. You know? So I guess a few years ago, this must have been, I don't know, 2012, 2011, something like that. I was um, mentioning this story to Joe Lovano and he said, man, you should go back now. Yeah. You should go back to his house. And, and I went, you know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, so on Wednesday at two 30, I show up and, and there's nobody there to meet me. There's, you know, but uh, somehow I make it up to his floor and I ring the bell and he answered the door and he had no idea I was coming. And he was sitting there with a piece of paper with the notes C, C sharp, D, E flat, E. And underneath that, A, B flat, B, C, like the alto transposition. Mm -hmm. And he was just, you know, marveling at this, that they named the same notes or something. Yeah. He just started talking to me about, you know, and then we were off. And then it was another like three, four hours of hanging out yeah and we played a little bit we actually finally did play and yeah he was just just going on and on and by this time i was ready for it and i was ready for the okay i have no idea where this is going yeah <laughs> and then he'd bring it in and i go wow okay that's let me try and remember that and of course a lot of it i wish i had recorded because now i don't remember exactly how he said things yeah you know um i do remember when I was playing, he said a couple of things that, that, that I liked, um, you know, he just asked me to play something. So I just, I don't know what I play. I just played mm -hmm. something. And, and he said, wow, how did you do that? Like somehow I could hear the note you were about to play before you played it. And I don't know how you did that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I I don't either. <laughs> I was like, Arnett, that might say more about you than me. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then uh, he asked me to play a major scale, you know. Mm. So I, you know, da 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 da. And he said, okay, so which way were the notes going? And I said, well, uh, the notes were going up. And he said, the notes were going up. But the sound was going out. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And somehow with him in, in that room, I knew exactly what he meant. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other thing I remember is, is, is just him playing a little bit too and just playing some, you know, da 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 yeah. Woo! Like, <laughs> like he just played something and he knocked himself out. Yeah. You know? But it was, there was nothing ego about it. It wasn't like, I am such a bad dude. Did you hear what I just played? Yeah. Not at all. It was like, can you believe this phenomenon of music? That yeah. You can play these notes. I mean, it just clearly, like a little kid, knocked him out completely. Yeah. You know? And it was so beautiful. It's like, yeah, well, that's how he's able to play that way. Is he yeah. feeling it that strongly? Yeah. You know? And just the fact that, I mean, twice, you know, I basically showed up at his door and he, he was so generous with his time. He was just very happy. If you showed up at his door and wanted to talk about music and were serious about it, then you could just spend all afternoon. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. It, it, yeah, it really was. I mean, it's a... Another indication, like, you know, this music has uh, has really found some, you know, some uh, special, extraordinary people, yeah. you know, to to carry it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the, the fact that, that I chose to do this for a living meant that I've gotten, come in contact with some of these people, you know, is, is, is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And Thank you, Pablo. Thanks, thanks for your time and uh, sharing all these stories. Absolutely. I think I think the dog we're watching may have to throw up. So, <laughs> <I should> go. <laughs> okay. With